There's something new that's happening in our fellowship. There's a fresh stirring of God in our fellowship. And I'm seeing something happening that is cutting across the whole width of the church, across all the demographics. I have had conversations with 20-year-olds, and I have had conversations with 60-year-olds, and with everyone in between, and they've been saying the same thing. They've been saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to move past just believing in Jesus as my Savior, and I'm ready to discover a life of Jesus as my Lord. And I'm seeing it as I've never seen it before. And I think it is a sign of the times that God is raising up from people who believe in Him, those who will follow Him. Those who will open their mouths for Him. Those who will surrender to His will. This readiness to follow Jesus as Lord has come as a result of a stirring the Holy Spirit is raising up in us through our interest in a passage in Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there to Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to read again for you verses 24 through 28 because we're not done yet. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Father, we invite the power of Your Holy Spirit to come and enliven this Word to us and cause it to pierce our hearts in such a way that we would know that it's time to be different. So this is the passage that has gripped our attention as a church, and more specifically, verse 24, when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, if anyone, he's saying that what I'm about to say is a universal command on anyone. If anyone would come after me, not just those who want to be the super Christians, but anyone, anyone who claims that Jesus is their Savior, anyone who claims to be a Christian, anyone who claims to be a part of the body of Christ, if anyone would come after me, he must. In other words, what he's about to say is not optional, but he must. That this is the, the basic foundation of what it means to come after Jesus. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That the... This is part of a sequence of getting to the place of being able to follow Jesus. 
that we're called to deny ourselves, to stop making the gospel about us, stop making the church about us, and make it about God and His glory, about dying, taking up our cross, falling before the Lord and say, crucify my flesh, release me from this flesh, crucify my life, so that then you can have the material you demand in order to raise me to new life. Because we can't be resurrected until we first die. And he said, and then you can follow me. And what we have going on in America right now is simply this, is an attempt to believe in Jesus and follow. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he ascended to the Father. I believe right now he sits at the right hand of God interceding for my sins. I believe all these things. Do you? And we have making this mistaken presentation of the gospel in America that says, believe and then follow. But there are two critical steps, Jesus says, in between believing and following. He said, believe and then you may come after me. By what? By denying yourself, taking up your cross, and then you can follow. And what's happening in our church right now is I'm hearing you say, I believe, I believe, I believe, but nothing's happening. I believe and I want to follow. And I respect that desire in you, and so I'd be telling you something other than the truth if I said, well, just go ahead and start following him. Because he said, if anyone would come after me, so if anyone has that belief, then he must deny himself, take up his cross, and then you'll be ready to follow. And so it leaves us with this question, doesn't it? So what do I do? How do I do this? What are the qualities of my life that should be coming in such a way that I can act on them so that I can be sure I'm following? Because there's no real value in being stirred by all this if it doesn't result in change. There is no value in coming to church and being stirred if that's the end of it. If it doesn't result in change. There's no value in coming and being stirred and then going out and living exactly the same way as we were with the anticipation of coming back next Sunday so we can be stirred. Jesus said it more directly in Matthew 17. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and there are many who find it. But small is the gate And narrow is the way that leads to life, and only if you find it. Could it be any more obvious that everybody who says they believe isn't on the road? Could it be any more obvious that everybody talking about heaven ain't necessarily going there? He said, Small is the gate, it's a narrow entrance. Small is the gate. What is the gate? The gate is Jesus. He's the only way in. The gate is Jesus Christ. He himself said, I am the gate for the sheep. Take his own word for it. He says, anybody who tries to come in by another way is a thief and a robber. I am the gate. So we come through Jesus. 
But what happens when we get there? It's a narrow road. So how do we walk the narrow road? Well, the narrow way is, is walked by the answer to the question, what now? And so I have prayerfully developed, as I told you last week, seven actionable qualities of an authentic disciple of Jesus. And the first is prayer. First, last week is prayer. To be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ means to be a person of disciplined prayer. And there really can be no exceptions. Because if we're not praying, we're not communicating with the one we say we're following. How can we be following him if we're not talking? How do we pray? I told you last week that our most urgent prayer as the church right now was how the apostles prayed in Acts chapter 4, verse 30, when they were under threat, when they were being persecuted, when they were under threat to shut their mouths about the resurrection of Jesus, when they were under threat to stop performing miraculous signs in the name of Jesus. And what was their prayer? They said, Lord, consider their threats, verse 30, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And this ought to be the central prayer of every believer today. We are living in perilous times. And the only response to the perilous times in which we live needs to be that the church needs to open its mouth and speak the truth of the word to the world. To speak the fundamental truth of the word to the world. We are voiceless. We have become so polite Jesus Christ didn't come to give you manners. Jesus Christ came to make you dangerous. And so we got to be praying, you guys. There's no exceptions. And I think the second actionable quality that I just want to share with you this morning is that we need to be people of the Word, the Word of God, the Bible. To be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ today means to be people who consistently read and seriously apply the tenets of Scripture. It's by embracing, it's by embracing, it's by immersing ourselves in and embracing the contents of the Bible that we learn that we have the very power to deny ourselves and take up our crosses. We don't have the capacity to do this apart from the Word of God living in us. Paul says, may the word of God dwell in you richly. That's an actionable quality of a believer, that the word of God is living in them, and by action they are intentionally making decisions to be men and women and young people who spend time in the word. And never in history has it been more available to people than now. There's really no excuse not to be people of the word. This is the path to life. You know, the Bible isn't a guidebook. It's not a book of great suggestions. It's not the farmer's almanac. It's the revelation, the self-revelation of God to man. When we invite the Holy Spirit to come and teach it to us, we come alive. And a person who wants to consider themselves on the path behind, the narrow path behind Jesus, will be a person of the Word. In Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. Jesus said that. 
Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Jesus said that. He said, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. And obey it. So that the blessing comes as we obey the Word of God. There is promised blessing for the man, for the woman, for the young person who will make themselves a student of the Word of God, a participant in the power of the Word of God, and an obedient servant to the clear teachings of the Word of God. There is a promised blessing by Jesus. That's pretty good. Did you hear what I said? Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. There is a promised blessing, and it's a, it's a blessing for later in our passage in verse 27 of Matthew 16. Jesus said, for the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels. How many of you believe that? The rest of you should, because it's coming. Be perfectly honest with you, I was surprised to see you this morning. I wish I were kidding. To be perfectly honest with you, I'll be surprised to see you next Sunday. For the Son of Man, He said, is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. So with the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised blessing. Then He will reward each person according to what He has done according to his obedience to the Word of God. Because blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. As Americans, you know, we hate the word then. We hate the word then, don't we? We hate the word then because we have been taught that we deserve everything now. We deserve everything then. What do you mean then? Do you see how I'm living? Do you see the prayers I'm praying? Do you see the rejection I'm suffering? Do you see? 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 Do you see? What about a blessing now? And he said, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. We hate the word then because we think we deserve everything now. A newsflash for you, you don't. In fact, you don't want what the Bible says you deserve now. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That what our sin is earning us is death. The Bible says that God is storing up His wrath for the last day. He's storing it up. That's what we deserve. Now. But because of Jesus Christ and His shed blood for us on the cross and His glorious resurrection and ascension to the Father's present ministry of intercession for us, that His blood continues to speak for us, our sins are forgiven, so that then we may hope to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Then. Because He's coming back, and some of you might be asking yourself the question, why should I take seriously these hard teachings you're giving lately? Why should I take seriously Because then is coming. Because we're on our way to then. 
And I want you to be ready. But there's another side of this blessing that may strike you as better news, and that is that we also will be blessed now as we obey the Word of God. Blessed are those, are, who hear the Word of God and obey it. Where do we see God pouring Himself out in most power? Think about it. Where do we see God pouring Himself out in the most power? It's wherever there, wherever there are a group of believers who are radically obedient to His Word. If you think about in Scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following in there, it gives such a stunning picture of what the church could be that Signs and wonders are done by the apostles and everyone is filled with the awe of the presence of God. That's a cool thing, right? It all starts around verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Prayer and to breaking of bread and to fellowship. There's some clues there for you about where this series is going. I didn't know it was going to be a series till last week. They devoted themselves to these things. Justin, they devoted themselves. This Greek word that talks about devoted was the same word that is used to talk about a slave's devotion to his or her master, that they derived their whole identity from them. This was not a casual relationship. They devoted themselves. And as a result, the power of God was poured out. And one of the things they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching, which is the Word of God. You're carrying it. It's the Bible. If you think about in history, where did we we see the power of God pour out? Throughout the revivals of history. Where people of God, where some group of people through every sin that so easily entangles aside and became radically obedient to the Word of God. As they did, the power of God came in a manifestation, in a visitation. If you think about in the world today, the places we go, even in America, where we see pockets of where God is pouring out, there are people behind that who are radically obedient to the Word of God. When we go in other parts of the world, and this is one of the great values of going on a mission trip, is just to go somewhere where you see that people don't have the encumbrances that we have called prosperity, called affluence, and they are radically devoted to the Word of God, and we see the power of God pour out. So there's a direct correlation between radical devotion to the Word of God, radical obedience to the Word of God, and the outpouring of God's blessing. Why is that? I think that's because there's a direct correlation between obedience and faith. I mean, why else would we obey the Word of God except that we believe it? Right? So we read the Word of God and we believe it, and so it moves us to act. Well, by contrast, I think that the only reason a person who says that they're a Christian would not obey the Word of God is because at the end of the day, they don't believe it. They just don't believe it. I mean, I can't 
for a moment think that you're sitting there saying, oh yeah, I believe there's a God in heaven, I believe He's the God of the universe, and I believe, and I believe, and I believe, and I believe, and I believe that He knows my name, and I believe that He made a way for me, and I believe He's got a call for my life, and I, but I'm just not going to do it. I think if we're not going to do it, it's an indication that we really must not believe it. We must, must not believe it. And so disobedience to the Word of God becomes much more a matter of doubt than it does defiance. And doubt always hurts you. And doubt always hurts the church. Allow me to use as an example one that many American Christians seem to hate, but I have noticed in my travel seems to be no real problem for Christians I have met in other parts of the world. For example, the Bible clearly says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not pour out such a blessing on you that you will not be able to contain it. And in referring to the tithe, Jesus said, This you should have done and much more. And of course, the first century believers were off the hook and considered tithing to be child's play in the realm of disciple generosity. So with all of that clear teaching in the Bible today, why wouldn't a person who claims to follow Jesus tithe? Because they don't believe it. I cannot imagine that anyone who believes what I just read would simply shake their fist at God and say, I'm not doing that. I'd have to get another cell phone plan. I just don't think you believe it. No matter how many testimonies you hear from people like me that say God blesses the tithe, you just don't believe it. Disobedience to the clear word of God hurts us. It hurts our blessing. It hurts our blessing now. It hurts our witness. It hurts us when we are, it hurts our witness when we are disobedient to the word of God. I mean, when the world is looking in on us, a world we are supposedly trying to reach, and they look at us in such clear violation of so many dimensions of the clear teaching of Scripture, they themselves can stand and you guys don't even do it. And it hurts our witness. We don't have anything to stand on. It destroys our credibility. hurts our present experience in the move of God among us. By not obeying the clear parts of the Word of God, we're ultimately rejecting the authority of God. Did you hear this? So we're saying the Bible is the inspired Word of God. It's the only authority over us. I'm not an authority over you. I'm just your brother telling you what it says. And so you're saying this is God's authority over me, but I reject certain parts of it. So we're rejecting the authority of God. Remember when you were a kid and you got in an argument with your brother or sister? You said, you're not the boss of me. Anybody ever say, you're not the boss of me? To your wife? Yes. <laughs> you're not the boss of me. <laughs> the scriptures come with clear teaching and they just happen to be really inconvenient personally. And we say, you're not the boss of me. Newsflash, he is.
there's a tragic consequence that occurs among a people who reject the authority of the Word of God. When we release ourselves individually from the authority of the Word of God, then we reject the authority of the Word of God among us. So when we just make exceptions for ourselves of why we're an exception to the clear teaching of the Word of God, then we're rejecting the authority of God individually, and you say, that's my business and none of yours. It kind of is, because when you bring it in here, our, our whole faith climate is conditioned by obedience or disobedience, because obedience is an act of faith. When we individually reject the authority of the Word of God in our lives and our private lives, then bring that to church or home group or whatever wherever we're going with us, then we actually contribute to a climate of doubt. And I believe it's why there is so little power in so much of the American church today. Our unwillingness to surrender to the authority of the Word of God makes a contribution to the faithless climate of the church today because it's cumulative. Disobedience to the clear Word of God results in an individual lack of faith. That's why we disobey. We don't believe. So which, when combined with others doing the same thing, results in a climate of unbelief. And so in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, where it says that Jesus did not do any miracles in his own hometown because of their lack of faith, there was a collection of people who didn't believe, and it had a negative impact in such a way that Jesus said, I'm not doing anything here. How are we different? When we use a lack of faith to justify our disobedience to the Word of God and then come together and go, Hey, Lord! Hey, Lord! Oh, I hope they do that one song. Surrendering to the authority of the Word of God is essentially a matter of faith. It says, I believe it. I'm doing this because I believe it. By making ourselves exceptions to the authority of the clearly spoken parts of the Word of God, we choose not to believe. Obeying the Word of God without hesitation is a bold declaration of individual faith. When you read it and go, Honey, look at this. I don't know how we're going to either, but it says it. When you do that, it's a bold declaration of your faith. When you do that individually and privately, and then we come together our faith corporate level is conditioned by our individual levels of obedience. So where do we see God coming in power? Wherever the disciples are gathered together in radical obedience to the Word of God because it increases the climate of faith. Is this, are, you, are, you buying the, are you seeing the connection at least between faith and obedience? Why do we see so much less power in the vineyard today as a movement than we did 20 years ago? I have one answer. 401k. And those of you who are in my generation, when we started this thing, and we were so off the hook in love with Jesus, and not caring about tomorrow, but we were laying it all down, and we were taking risks, and we didn't care who said what about us, And we didn't care how many times we were rejected when we shared the gospel of Jesus. We shared it anyway. What did we see? We saw the power of God come. 
now that we baby boomers are running this thing and we're more concerned about whether I'm going to be able to handle my car payments in retirement, it's no wonder that we're not seeing the power of God like we used to. My point is that we've made our Christianity such an individualistic thing that we have lost sight of the broader implications of individual disobedience. If you're not consistently and seriously in the Word, then you can't possibly be following Jesus. The Word and prayer are how we know what to do and even know who God really is. If you're not consistently in the Word of of God, then one of two things is happening. One, you're following someone else's or maybe everyone else's interpretation of the Word. You're depending on me. Bad choice. I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. I will never lie to you. I never have lied to you. I will tell you the truth. But I'm a brother like you. I'm on a journey like you. I am not infallible. And thank God I'm not your priest. No one stands between you and God but Jesus Christ. And you own a Bible, and God wants to speak to you through it. And if you don't do that, you will depend on someone else's, or as James says, maybe everyone else's interpretation of the Bible. Because James says if you're not in the Word, what will happen is you will be blown around by every wind of doctrine. That'll sound good. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, now I'm thinking like this. And it becomes about you. And you short-circuit the very plan that we're talking about here. Is that making sense? And the problem is there are teachers everywhere who are devising and teaching God gods who exist nowhere in the Bible. And thousands are following. They're filling stadiums with these people. But the second thing that may happen if you don't stay in the Word it's more likely is you will follow a God of your own devising. It's far more convenient not to read the Bible, by the way. Just want to let you know, if you don't consistently spend time in the Word of God, then you can easily modify your notion of God to fit your lifestyle. Don't read the Word of God. Don't read the Word of God if you're trying to get God to fit into your lifestyle. But the problem is that since it's no longer the actual God of heaven you are worshiping by not being in the Word, then I think you should not expect your eternal destination to actually be heaven. We cannot choose which parts of the Bible we're going to believe. Many people in America who are claiming to be Christians have become very good at making themselves exceptions to the Word of God. And I'm talking about the clear teachings here. I realize there are parts of the Bible that cause you to go, what? But you're not there yet. Let's just start with the basics. The clear teachings. And when you do that, when you make yourself an exception to the clear teachings of Scripture, then you have to make provision for everybody else who isn't following the Word of God. Because it ain't fair if you don't, right? And when you do that, when you make yourself an exception and make provision for everyone else to be an exception, then you contribute to the compromise that has degraded our nation. How did we get here as a nation? One compromise at a time. 
And I'm just saying it's time to take it back. It's time to turn around. It's time to open our mouths. It's time to make decisions that actually matter, not only here, but out there. Because that's what following Jesus is. There are perhaps people here who have made themselves exceptions to the clear teaching of the Word of God concerning sexual sin. There may be people here who are committing adultery. And you've made a provision for yourself. Well, that works for me because. There may be people here who are living together as husband and wife, though you're not husband and wife. And you've made an exception. You've made yourself an exception. Well, I'm doing that because. There may be people here who are exploring your sexuality outside the bonds of monogamous heterosexuality. And that's because you're making yourself an exception to the Word of God. And in doing that, in doing that, you're killing yourself and you're killing others. And in doing that, you can't possibly be following Jesus Christ. We can't possibly have whole areas of our lives that are unsurrendered to the Word of God and saying, but I'm following Jesus. He's not going there. You're making something up in your head. And it's false. It's a lie. And it's hellish. It's killing you. And I don't know what the consequences will be later. And you say, well, isn't there forgiveness for our sins? Absolutely there's forgiveness for our sins. And the Bible says there is forgiveness for our sins when there is also repentance from our sins. Acts 3.19 says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent then and turn to God. What's happening in the world today is a gospel without repentance, which is really no gospel at all. It's a message of our own devising that releases us once again from the authority of God. I don't have to do that because I have my Jesus card in my back pocket. And you quote verses to me like 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that true? Yes. But have you read the rest of 1 John? Do you know the context in which that thing is set? Where John says, no one who keeps on sinning can call himself a Christian. That that whole precious verse of confession is predicated on repentance. From the prophets to John the Baptist to the apostles, the whole gospel of forgiveness is built on a truly repentant heart. We've got to stop making ourselves exceptions. Okay, so I got this question for you, which I believe is from the Lord. And the question is simply this. Is everybody ready? I mean, is everyone who can hear my voice right now, are you ready? I wasn't kidding when I said I was surprised to see you this week. And you know I'm not an alarmist kind of a person. Is everybody ready? Has everybody been through the narrow gate so that you can stand with Jesus as your Savior? And is everybody ready? Are you on the narrow road 
so that you can call Him your Lord. We're never going to be any good at giving religion here. There are a lot better places if all you want is religion. But if you're sensing something inside of you, I think you should examine it. I don't know if I'm ready. I mean, obedience to the Word of God. Some of you are saying, Tom, you don't know what you're asking. My situation is it would really... Well, newsflash, I'm not asking you anything. I don't care if you tithe or not. The church doesn't need your money. But you need to give it. Best thing that could happen to me is that the church could run out of money and I could get fired. Get myself a real job at Lowe's or something. you got to know that's my heart when I use that as an example, right? I'm not asking you to do anything. You say you don't know what you're asking. Well, have you noticed in the Bible that the disciples said that to Jesus too? They said, Lord... We've left everything to follow you. We've left mothers and fathers and kids and wives. And, and you know what Jesus' answer to that was? He said, yep. How can we possibly say we're following Jesus if we're not people of the Word? How can we possibly say that if somehow we don't have time to open the Bible? Come on! What excuse are we going to give These are the first core realities of following Jesus. Prayer and the Word. And you say, I don't know how to pray. Of course you do. Just thinking that in my direction. Now just stop thinking about me and turn it to God. And you just prayed. And that's the scratch on the scratch on the scratch on the scratch on the scratch of experiences that are available to us in prayer. Woo! You say, I don't know how to read my Bible. I got you. Got you covered. If you don't have a Bible, if you do not own a Bible, I want you to stop at that welcome desk on the way out and tell them and they will give you your very own Bible. And then I want you to go home and I want you to open it up to one of the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Start reading. Get to know Jesus. He's the one you're looking for. You're not looking for me. You're looking for him. You're not looking for a preacher. You're looking for Jesus. And some of you say, well, I don't have time. You don't understand. You got the same 168 hours this week as anybody else. And did you know that if you spend 17 minutes a day in prayer and the word, that by this time next week, if you do that every day for seven days, you will be one minute short of having spent two hours with God. Seventeen minutes. Open your eyes and roll out and say, what do you want to do today, God? And open the Bible and begin reading. Seventeen minutes. So I don't have that kind of time. Are you serious? Seventeen I want you to think right now about what time you're going to wake up tomorrow morning normally in order to go to work or whatever you've got to do tomorrow. There's probably an alarm perhaps or some time you're shooting for, yeah? You got that in your mind? 
Now I want you to subtract 17 minutes from that time, and that's your new getting up time. And I'm not asking. Because it's not just about you. When you fail to be a person of prayer and the Word, then you affect this place. And if you're sitting there saying, well, then I'm just not going to come here anymore, then you are falling into exactly the trap that the devil wants you to fall more deeply into. That's not why I'm saying that. I'm saying that because this place could be a place of power if the people of God would be people of prayer and the Word. I cannot believe that doesn't make sense to you or appeal to you on some level. So, you know, that's my question. Is everybody ready? I just don't know if you're going to have another Sunday to think about it. The Bible says, watch, therefore, for you know not the hour that your Lord may come again. I'm not making a prediction. I'm just saying... What has happened to me? And this is happening throughout God's church. I'm hearing reports of others who are saying the same thing. So if you're a person who for whatever reason would consider yourself not to be sure you're ready, come. is ready. Everyone else says, I'm good. That according to that verse, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Everyone else is ready. I, I pray to God you are. And you can be. Don't doubt it if you are. I don't know what God's going to do here next. I never know what God's going to do next. I'm coming. I, you guys understand what you're doing, right? You're getting out of the safety of the boat to walk on water. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Your church, your children, the sheep of your pasture. People who have a stirring inside of them, not of doubt, but of concern. And I pray that you will come and you will shine your light and you will show them. Show them the recesses of their heart. Show them the places that have yet to be conquered by your power, your grace, your love, your control. Some of you right now are being told there's some things occurring big in your mind about what you need to do. There's some act of obedience that you need to take. You need to pray to God right now that he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it because if you're anything like me, you will find it nearly impossible to pull off on your own strength. But that the power of God comes to give us the strength to do the things that we must do. Some of you right now are being struck, as I was in the first service, with something we need to repent of. And I joined you in the first service and just knelt down and just asked God to forgive me 
and I was turning away from it. And that Acts 3.19 was fulfilled in me to the point that I could bestow it on others where it says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. There's a time of refreshing coming for you as you repent. Power.